Hello and welcome to Oh Brother, What Are We Watching? Two brothers discuss pop culture with a geeky bent. Uh, I'm Chris Jones, and uh, with me as always is my dear brother, Steve. Hi Chris, how's it going? Uh, very well, Steve, how are you? I'm very well, you gave away your second name. Oh. So now everyone knows who you are and can track you down. You're a national insurance number away from fraud. Um, I'm not overly concerned because the last time I checked on Facebook, there was uh, it just stopped searching after it hit sort of over a hundred million people or something crazy like that. So, um, <laughs> there's enough Chris Joneses out there to maintain my anonymity. I think. If you say so. I'm pretty. I'm pretty good. I think we're okay. So, uh, I gave you a task, Steve. I asked you to watch the film Donnie Darko. You said it was a task, but it was a lot more fun than that, Chris, because tasks makes it sound onerous. Well, (laughs) as the podcast goes on, I think you'll find the moniker of task very appropriate to some of the tasks I'm going to give you. But um... (laughs) God forbid what's coming next. (laughs) Heaven forfend. Uh, But we're talking Donnie Darko, so you never watched it. That's right. You've never seen it at all. Mm -hmm. Um... Were you ever tempted to watch it, or were you put off by the hype? No, I was never put off by the hype. I've never even put... Well, I was never put off by the hype. I have this really bad habit, and it has to, I have to uh-huh. say it out, you know. My bad habit is... Well, it's, it's broadly laziness, but more accurately, <laughs> when it comes to watching something new, I find it really hard to get excited about it sometimes. If I'm in the cinema, not a problem. I love going to the cinema. Um, mm-hmm. Especially, you know, uh, going to see small films and stuff. Although I see a significantly less amount of them now. But si- yeah. for example, sitting here at home, everything's very comfortable. I've only got a few hours a night. I've got uh, various other Blu-rays and stuff. Uh, we've got Netflix, Amazon Prime, a whole Sky Plus box full of stuff. And humble brag. <laughs> not, brag away seven pounds a month worth every penny um yeah. but on on donnie darko i so i'll tell you how i watched it i went to amazon and as uh-huh. we're talking right now we've just had the 15th anniversary it was released in 2001 and a new blu-ray director's edition has come out all singing all dancing brand new um, and I decided instead I would buy a used DVD version for one pound, which is okay. much cheaper. Sound. Um, mm-hmm. Because if I were going to do this for every film, then I might run out of money very quickly. Um, yeah. So it's it sat there for, for a few days. I knew we were recording this. I knew I had to watch it. And um, I kept on kind of saying, well, I want to watch it when. So it's more laziness rather than mm-hmm. um, anything to do with the hype and everything. It's just another one of these films where people say, have you seen it? And I sit there and sheepishly said no. But now I can. Now I can say that I've seen it. Yeah. And it was great. Okay, so that, that leads me to my first question. Did you enjoy it? You enjoyed uh, what you watched? Yeah, no, I, I really enjoyed it. Um, oh, I'm so happy. You're so... Oh, I'm so happy. <laughs> you, have the same, you have the same affliction as me, which is you sound so disingenuous. <laughs> it was really different. I wasn't expecting it to be stylistically as different as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, as we record this, there's a real dearth for me of original films and filmmaking, especially from Hollywood. You know, this is, uh, you know, spoiler alert, we're at the tail end of 2016 as we record this. And all we have at the moment is comic book movies, remakes and reinterpretations and general franchise fatigue. I just saw Rogue One. It was fine, 
but you know it's just another film for another um franchise um so it was great to yeah. see something that was even though it's 15 years old unabashedly unique mm-hmm. um original uh, there's a lot of genre smashing in there <laughs> yeah. uh, and it was you know it was certainly something that, that i could see why it's lived for so long i can see why there's been a 15th anniversary special edition cleanup director's cut on blu-ray because yeah. it's it's so thoroughly memorable as you're watching it um you're sitting there as you're going along thinking am i really watching this this is cr- this is crazy at times but um it was terrific and i really enjoyed it and it was a really um enjoyable couple of hours although i say it's a couple of hours the way i watch these films chris is i've got my little notepad to take notes uh-huh. and i put it in the dvd or the blu-ray i got the subtitles on so i can see some of the words and i kept pausing it like oh that's an important thing to note down or sometimes i just note down what actually happens so i remember oh, okay. um as i go along and before you know it, an hour, one hour 48 film takes me almost sometimes two or three hours to get through. So um, it, it wasn't as quick as it should have been, but it was a, a very tight film and it was great. It was a lot of fun. Yeah. What did I you mean, think of it, Chris? I, I mean, I, I love it. Um, I watched it for the first time in, I want to say, 2004, maybe. Um, and... I'll come back to sort of where I've where I've kind of gone with it and in terms of uh, theories or, or, or sort of my approach to it, I suppose. Um, but the, the main thing for me, I didn't need to fully rewatch it um, mm-hmm. because I only I only watched it maybe six months ago um, because I was just kind of in the mood. And it is unique in so much as films don't make you feel like that anymore. You know, you very rarely sit there and and say, like, you know what I'm in the mood for? Fast and Furious 5. You know, things things have this kind of... They've come and they've gone kind of feeling to me now, uh, you know, where they're fine, they're enjoyable, um, and then they're gone, and you forget about them, and they just fall into this sea of, of... uh, without trying to sound too bleak, you know, minutia. Uh, so when you get a film like Donnie Darko, there is, there are people who hate it, you know, but love it or hate it is is different. There's nothing like it, and there hasn't really been anything like it particularly since. It is the sort of film that does make you want to go back uh, and rewatch it, um, not just because it's interesting, but because it has a feel and a style, and uh, yeah, you know. So I'm I'm a big fan of it. Uh, and I've watched it many, many times. Um, but I'd like to know your opinion on uh, the actors uh, in the film slash the, the characters they portray. Um, because it's quite an interesting cast. It's a great cast. It's, it's, it's certainly surprising to me. So again, I knew Jake Gyllenhaal, this was his big break. And I knew before yeah, watching it that, that he a was a star. Um, but apart from that, I didn't really know who else was in it apart from the Swayze, apart from Patrick Swayze. Uh-huh. I, did, I knew he was in it. I knew um, that it was set in the 80s as well, so it was kind of a nice nod to have Swayze in it. But I didn't mm-hmm. know the, but the rest of the cast, so it was really it was really cool. You know, Maggie Gillian Hall was also in it, um, so it was a natural kind of brother-sister animosity between them. 
Um, and that was, yeah. I think Maggie actually, Maggie's the older sibling, so. Yeah, I believe so. Her career to actually already kind of start to take off, and then she would be in secretary and stuff. Um, but she obviously uh, brought that kind of very naturalistic um, animosity between the brother and sister, which was fantastic. Um, it was Seth Rogen's first ever um, screen appearance, first ever movie, at least I think. Yeah, it's um, it's great for <laughs> when someone watches it for the first time, them sitting there and going like, "Hang on, yep, is that chubby school kid? Is that Seth Rogen?" <laughs> Is that because Seth Rogen? Kind of playing... Is that the Doctor from ER? Is that Drew Barrymore? It is. Yeah, yeah. Like... he's kind of playing against type. Well, you know what we would now think of as the Seth Rogen type. You know, like the big, you know. I wouldn't even say he was against type because of... he does. He because you know what he is the same in everything. He's <laughs> he just happened to be a bully Go back to China, bitch. He's he's just <laughs> he just I believe his line. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, he's horrible to that girl who fancies Donnie Darko. Yeah. Um, or does she? Oh, but I think more talk. more the fact that he's played as kind of intimidating, uh, obviously second fiddle to the uh, switchblade wielding maniac. But um, you know that he kind of runs with that kind of crowd. Yeah, he's he's uh, one of the stereotypical bullies. Um, mm-hmm. uh, but you know, obviously his part is small. It was great to see uh, Mary McDonald uh, as well, Mary McDonald, um, who we would know better as uh, the president from Battlestar Galactica, but has a wide resume of films um mm-hmm. no but, but of course i i came to battlestar galactica thinking of her as the mum from donnie darko ah, uh, it, so that was kind of interesting so the streams um, cross yeah i i think um the family dinner scenes uh are, are very well done um not just because of the interplay between the jill and halls but i think i think they just make you believe it a bit that this is a real family you know that you know the parents aren't just there to drive drive the plot say what they have to say you know either be like oh you know we have to be disapproving of everything our kids say or you know whatever else they feel like real parents you know they're kind of trying to keep things under control don't talk like that at the dinner table but they can't kind of you know the dad can't help but laughing when he finds out what uh, donnie said to his gym teacher things like that you know i feel it's there's a real natural chemistry and i think they they play it very well i think it's very well written as well in that respect yeah no it uh, yeah the, the family's great obviously i think if you're going to st- start talking about actors and characters you have to start with jake gyllenhaal this is the, yeah. the role that made him um and he you know i don't know anyone who's schizophrenic but you could see it being someone like him so there's someone who um rallies between emotions um his uh-huh. performance really is um fantastic you know he's got that dead eye stare when he goes into those moments and he becomes a bit more brooding and he kind of tilts his head forward he stops blinking he doesn't stare widely and he he's not overbearing he doesn't chew the scenery he just gets that hell tilt and the the dead eye stare sometimes the quiet talking and Mm -hmm. um it's really quite unnerving as well you really do feel this is someone who's who's grappling with their sanity um, as well as many other things, yeah. like the character is obviously grappling with many other things through the film. Yeah, but he doesn't play it, uh, you know, much like a real person. <laughs> you know, he has the whole range of emotions, and that's obviously one of the, the themes. But, you know, he he isn't like that all the time, uh, which is, is, is quite true to life of someone like that. You know, um, sometimes he's just happy. Sometimes he's joking and just 
talking shit with his friends and that that adds a, a layer of reality to it as well which i like um but yeah gillen is it gillenhall or gillenhall i don't know the family i think are half swedish so are you gonna do a swedish accent right now gillenhall i yeah. don't know i don't know but yeah. um uh, yeah so he he is he is uh terrific in it. and you can see then that the films he's went on to do since since then um that this mm. really it was a launch pad for his career he was terrific donny donny is such an interesting character it's such a, a sad end of course and we'll get into more about the meaning of the film which is kind of the number one thing that people i think oh, yeah, probably yeah. would come back to um but there's so much more here to to unravel in terms of um in terms of donny and his journey over the month um and his descent after he meets frank i mean he was always it said at the very start yeah. here's someone on pills and and in therapy um but then he of course he, he goes down the, the sliding scales he gets worse and worse until the end um and it is fascinating to, to see him you know um at times be uh, probably a normal teenager is probably pushing it too far but um you can see the good kid there right you can see the kid that doesn't he he just doesn't want to be alone that's what's kind of overriding him over everything else and potentially at least this this uh, uh, the therapist anyway classifies it as schizophrenia mary mcdonald um but as you said you should so you're talking about the family mary mcdonald um really played well that um rich suburban mother really well um the the face when she's talking yeah. to kitty and Kitty explains, "I need you to go out." I asked everyone else, but I need you to go out with Ellie. I don't was it. I don't think you believe I'm, in. Sparkle. I'm seriously beginning to doubt your commitment to sparkle motion. Is the line? Um, <laughs> I I must have said that a hundred times to people. That's <laughs> um, the thing. It's not a it's not a comedic film, but there are these beats no. that are like laugh out loud funny. Um, that kind of catches you off guard. Um, particularly almost everything that comes out of her mouth and the swayzy moments the the video and his uh sort of motivational day at the school um i i always can't help but sort of uh guffaw some yeah no it, it's for mary mcdonald uh, and i keep on saying mcdonald mary mcdonald the when she's having that conversation and her face she tries to keep it together and it looks like she's chewing yeah. wasps as this woman, this repellent yeah. woman who's going off to defend uh, uh, someone who's probably been stuck in a child pornography ring. Um, yeah. It's just it's just wonderful. And I loved her as, as the president in Battlestar Galactica. So when I saw her on screen, I had this great big smile on my face anyway. But she's she's terrific. You know, she's got the kind of poofed up hair, um, sending her son off. And it's, you know... It's quite a, a rich environment, you know. It's a private middle school or private high school or whatever, uh, in this small community mm -hmm. in America, and she kind of perfectly fits that um, suburban mom, I guess you would call it, um, that with the puffed up hair yeah. and everything, and uh, just just terrific. Just put a big smile on my face every time she interacted, but also when uh, towards the end when she, she has to leave Donnie, the the look on her face when I think Donnie says something like. Um, what's it like to have a fuck up for a son and yeah. she has his face and you, th she's gonna, you think she's going to cry she keeps it together it's, just, it's wonderful um, and it's it's so genuine and heartfelt it just breaks your heart when you, 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 you're you watching it it's mm. so wonderful yeah and I mean you really feel it. I, I particularly like that scene in the 
a therapist's office where Donnie's parents have gone to see the therapist and she basically says he's getting worse and my only answer is to basically keep medicating him and you know it's a very similar kind of thing as well like she does kind of let let the tears come a little bit she gets quite tearful but basically says well if it's if it's what you think will help but you can see that feeling of helplessness that that she's feeling like she doesn't know what to do that she that there basically there is nothing that can help him um and she knows that just giving him more drugs isn't going to be the answer but it's the only one in front of her um and you feel that kind of yeah that sort of there's a strength to to the character you know she's quite um you know she's clearly the rock the one that's kind of keeping it together um but you know also the kind of vulnerability uh you know especially being in that setting with the with the with the doctor and and stuff i think that's a really very very good scene but yeah uh, mary mcdonald is um obviously a fantastic actress uh that's not news to us but um yeah i think she's one of the really uh one of the strongest parts of the film um and for me watching it now as a parent as i get a bit older mm she's the one I have more of an emotional connection with more than right, okay. the, sort of the younger characters. Yeah, no, it's, um, I'm not a parent, so I, <laughs> I don't have that same, um, you know, that same connection to, to have to being a parent, but I can imagine it. I can empathize with it. And, um, I, I can pretend to feel, <laughs> I can pretend to feel emotions. <laughs> I have um, never been accused of having emotions. Um, certainly, yeah, certainly yeah. her performance um, next. I mean, Jake Gyllenhaal, I think, obviously is, is the star of this film, not just oh. in name but in his performance, because it's so nuanced. But Mary McDonnell in you could see there was a story I read which says that she was so excited on the first day of the first day she was going to film that she um, went too fast and she got a speeding ticket or something like that, and because oh, she was so excited uh, by the script, and you can see why. Yeah. Like she just knocks it out of the park, and she's just terrific. And I'm a big Mary McDonnell fan, and uh, yeah. she she was great, and definitely definitely brings a, a gravitas to the. So role. let's let's move now to talk about uh, the music uh, of the film, the soundtrack. Um, now I'm I'm really really interested to hear your take on this because, uh, for me, uh, the music was always just mm-hmm. kind of about setting the scene, uh, you know, putting the movie in a time and place. Um, you know, obviously it's using, it's using real songs from that era. Uh, I love, you know, I absolutely love every single song that's picked for this film, um, is, is brilliant. Um, but you have, uh, you've read into them a bit more, uh, a bit more deeply and, and what you think those songs mean to the, the scene or the film? Well, what I, what I will say to this, Chris, so... Like you, I love I love the soundtrack. Um, yeah. I mean, we could actually spend a minute talking about the actual score, <laughs> which um, is really at times disaffecting. Like you talk about it being a genre genre kind of smash up at times, but yeah. the, the the pieces of music that really stick out to me are things like the the piano playing when he's in the therapist office. Yeah. And he's talking about he admits to burning down the house and how he has to obey Frank. And he has to see this through to the end. And that, coupled with that music, uh, which is kind of a piano piece, is really disaffecting. Uh-huh. And 
really plays into the mood wonderfully. And I think, you know, we will talk about the pop songs, but I think it was just worth a moment just to talk about the original score because um, particularly when Frank is on screen and, and Donnie is talking to him, you do get that horror vibe. You do get that, but without it being uh, yeah. an over-the-top, scary, you know, smash-cut kind of film, it is this one where it's there's long takes and it's very languidly paced and the music matches that, I think, yeah. wonderfully. I mean, I assumed for years that the film was a horror. Uh, well, not for years, because I think I saw it within a couple of years of it coming out. But um, from just when I'd seen, like, the, the DVD cover with, like, Frank on the front, and it's obviously very sort of dark tones and, and whatnot. Um, so actually when I watched it, I was assuming that I was going to watch a horror movie. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. You know, those scenes, you know, it's not played like, ooh, boo, there he is. Um, but it is very much... No, it's, you're talking about the kind of traditional uh, horror where you can expect someone to come out the, the left-hand side of the screen or yeah, something. Yeah, you know, every, every time he closes the, camera. The, the medicine cabinet, you know, I'm expecting boo, there he is behind you, um, kind of, kind of stuff. Yeah. Um, but yeah, you know, like you say, it's those, it's those long takes. It's those moments where you kind of, um, thinking about when they're watching. Uh, did you notice they were watching Evil Dead? I did cinema? notice that. Yeah, yeah, I did notice nice, that. Nice yeah. little pop culture ref. Um, but yeah, they're they're in the cinema. They're watching Evil Dead. Frank is there, and uh, you know, he he does this very slow turn. And you know that his eyes all fucked up, and and it just stays on him and stays on him, <laughs> and that's yeah, you know, it's uh, you know, and you feel it, and you could actually see, you know, Gyllenhaal's re- reacting in the same way. You know, he's squirming, and he's like, oh, what's up with your eye? You know, what happened to you? And it, you know, you feel his physical discomfort as you're as you're sort of seeing seeing mm-hmm. it yourself. Um, uh, but yeah, so in terms of the pop songs, so we open with uh, Echo and the Bunny Men, I believe. Well, uh, now let's stop right there. Okay. So, <laughs> two things to say here. So, the first thing is that I, like you, it sounds like we're about to jump into, have watched the theatrical version, uh-huh. which is, the, you know, this old DVD I've got and, and whatever version you've got. The director's cut which um, has been out for a while, I think, is on re-release and mm-hmm. is coming to Blu-ray, actually changes that first song. It changes a couple of the songs. Oh. So the first song is actually completely changed. Now, I, I'm talk- when I'm talking today, I'm, I'm talking about the theatrical version, so I'm the same as you. It's The Killing Moon by Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah. Which is, um, there's two or three Echo and the Bunnymen songs that I know, and that's one of them. And I don't own it, and I didn't know the name of it, but as the film starts and it, it gets into that uh, cracking guitar and everything, it is... Yeah. Well, it's a fantastic song. It immediately puts you back in the 80s. Um, but what was really interesting was, after I'd watched the film, and I was like, oh, this soundtrack's really good. I'm going to have to read up more about these songs. Yeah. Was looking at the lyrics and looking at everything. And, the, you know, the film, uh, the film, the song is, you know, it's about birth and death, mm-hmm. God and fate versus human will. There's lots of space and astronomical references. Um also interesting for you and me, and maybe some of our listeners, that Ian McCulloch, who's the lead singer of Echo and the Bunny Men, is a Star Trek fan. Oh, so there you go. That's fantastic. Um, <laughs> but when you start like looking at these things, he's like, ah, oh, yeah, yeah, the film is kind of about birth and death and life and 
fates versus will and all this other stuff yeah. isn't it so as well as um mental health and, and so on and so forth uh-huh. um but it is a cracking song to get started chris it, it is and yeah I, i'd actually never heard that one before i watched it um and oh so really immediately oh, it's a cracking song yeah i i immediately went and got it um as, as soon as i'd finished watching the film um I tell you who thinks of it as highly as, as us is Ian McCulloch because I read an interview with him in preparation for this podcast uh-huh. where he basically attributes the lyrics to God because they came oh, to him okay. in bed and there is no better song than this, this song. Okay, so... So he thinks it's good as well. He thinks it's very good. <laughs> <laughs> it is I mean, It is good. Uh, he thinks he's a okay. pretty big deal, certainly when it comes yeah. to The Killing Moon. Great song. Yeah, I mean, this is um, this is actually fascinating to me uh, for, for for the the sole reason that when I listen to music, I notoriously very rarely listen to lyrics um, to the point where I can hear them, I can parrot them back to you, but I very rarely stop and think about what I've just said. Um, <laughs> this is why you like take that McFly yeah. busted. Oh, hundred percent. I can I can listen to wonderfully catchy you know pop songs with great hooks because i don't give a fuck what they're singing about um i usually love but um you know it doesn't matter to me if if the lyrics are really deep and poetic i used to uh you know one of my first uh housemates at university was entirely the opposite and he'd play me this song and i'd be like what the shit was that that was so boring and he'd be like no 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 but didn't you hear didn't you hear the the lyrics and the, the the kind of you know the way the way he repeats that word throughout but in different ways and i was like no i i didn't catch it i don't think i heard one single word you know um so you've taken a lot of meaning from from the lyrics of that uh, which i would never do because i never listen to the lyrics well what, what um, i would say is is that when i was watching the film so when you're watching a film live certainly what i do is unless i really know the song and maybe know the lyrics or the um the meaning behind a song it, it just it, it kind of just goes into the background and and what this song and the rest of the soundtrack does is very good at that it, it's very good with the mood it's very good of setting you in the 80s you can believe yeah. that these are kids in 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 the late 80s in preppy america uh i think it's virginia where the film is set um you can believe that and it adds to the test it very well you can imagine people saying oh the soundtrack's awesome it's got this it's got tears for fears duran duran Joy Division, and then Gary Jules, but you know, whatever. Um, but it also, um, it, one of the one of the things I really like is that it kind of feels to be like they just pull back the throttle a little bit, you know, because if they if they go much further, all of a sudden everyone's got a Rubik's cube and everyone's wearing leg warmers and right. you know you're busting out the let everyone know we're in the eighties kit, which you don't need, uh, you know, let alone the fact the film tells you you know we're in nineteen eighty eight. I like it's the one of the first the... lines in the film, isn't it? Is Maggie Gyllenhaal saying, "I'm going to vote for Takakis." It trusts the audience to say, "Oh, so this is this is set slightly in the past," but it's not playing on that. One of the things I like about the film, apart from its originality, is that everything here is 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 for a point. Mm-hmm. So it's not, um, as you said, so the music is not just thrown down. They could have, well. The, the the budget wasn't much. They probably didn't have the ability to actually go out and buy more songs. 
but they de certainly showed restraint in only limiting it to say um, a handful of very noticeable songs there's a few others like pantera and stuff that are kind of blended in there yeah um like when the, the party scene towards the end um but uh, yeah you're right it, it doesn't bash you over the head i mean there's, there's things if you look for it um like the the jogger who keeps on popping up in his red shell suit yeah. or the trans am that goes around and eventually find out it's owned by by frankie yeah. or frank um and those kind of little things as well but because a lot of it's at the school and they're all wearing like normal clo clothes and stuff you know that's kind of uh, put to the background so it's more interesting rather than hit you over the head but certainly the the, the soundtrack does a great um job of that i mean tears for fears head over heels that whole scene you you probably already know this chris but when i was reading about it that whole scene is choreographed to that song yeah. where at the start with the it looks like the bus is on its side and it's um and it's got the uh the words in the the dirt that's been uh kind of um um painted with a finger and everything i think it says uh, uh mongrel's rule uh -huh. And then it, it twists round and, and Donnie comes with the thing and everything. And I didn't realise when I was watching it live that it was actually choreographed to that exact song. It was made for it. Yeah. As you see these um, these elements, these very typical US high school, you know, you get all your tropes in there. You know the two bullies. Mm -hmm. <laughs> Immediately you can see the girls and the nerds and the uh, and, and uh, Donnie and everything. So um, I think that's just fantastic. But looking up a bit the, the song today, I was like, I wonder if there's anything more to these these films. And, and in the end, Head Over Heels is really kind of a basic romantic song. Um, actually, the, the singer describes it as a romantic song that goes perverse at the end, which speaks a lot to, to Donnie Darko, isn't it? Yeah. It's just, um, it's, uh, you think it's one thing, but it's, it's slightly twisted. Yeah, so the the soundtrack, obviously, is, is, is wonderful. Um a lot to unpack in there, but let's get talking about the the meat of the film, the plot. Uh, more specifically, what you made of it, what your interpretation is. That's that's what I really want to know. You can't wait, can you? I had like twenty more minutes on that bloody soundtrack, <laughs> and you <laughs> you want to jump into what everyone else is talking about. What does it mean? Is it this? Is it that? Is it my theory? Is it your theory? Well, all right, Chris. All right. I had 20 minutes on, like, Gary Jules. Forget it. Like, forget it. We always want Sorry, to talk just, about just it. Sorry, just stepping back that that song. Um, When I, I'd heard the song before, I think it's really perfectly placed. It's a little on the nose lyrically, um, but, you know, I think it's very well done. It's a nice way to sort of uh, close things out. Um. But it's been so overused since, um, and there was a period of time where um, not might have even been because of the film. It certainly wasn't that long after the film came out where it was in the charts again, um, and I think I got very very fed up of it, um, and that's one thing that's kind of it's kind of hard to get over when I'm watching the end of the film. It's like. I do kind of like this this song, but it does it does wind me up as well. Yeah, well, it, it got to number. It was a Christmas number one. Yes, it was. It was a. Christmas it was a Christmas number, number one, one the in the fuck? UK. So if you're listening to this from another country, in the United Kingdom, in I think it was two thousand three. So just mm -hmm. a bit a year and a bit after um, 
or two years uh, after the film originally came out in the cinema, but after it was out on DVD and becoming a bit of a cult hit, this f- song was re-released and became Christmas number one. And people started to say, do you know what this song's about? And it's, well, it's about all sorts, really. Um, and, but it was really the first of this wave of songs, Chris, that exist even today, of the downbeat, the stripped-down versions of pop songs. So, again, we mm-hmm. talked about Tears for Fears. Mad World is a Tears for Fears song. But it, the version is, is Gary Jules. And now you, you put on an advert, you um, you watch a trailer, and you almost certainly hear a song. You're like, that sounds really familiar. Um, they've perfected it to an art in Westworld, if you've ever seen Westworld. Where I actually haven't. I've heard a lot about it. Where all the piano I'm songs in the, 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 in the bar are pop songs that mm-hmm. are just played on the piano so it sounds like it's old timey wild wild west um but you know i'm trying to think of things like the social network and uh, for example when they they had the trailers out for that and it was uh, creep by radiohead but it was a school choir ah. yeah. um and and this was the, the, the first one of those it was also do you remember a big piece of the original gears of war uh, advertising strategy i do i do and i remember yeah. being in the, in the cinema or watching it on tv and um but it was a great advertising campaign um, to have this song on and, and as he's fighting the I can't even remember what the name of that creature is Chris um, but anyway um, it it's, is something that's yeah. very overused nowadays is that yeah well I mean song. specifically that that song um, yeah. uh, being used usually in juxtaposition with something quite uh, you know fast paced and frenetic uh, it's overdone and heaven forfend if you go into the world of YouTube sort of cut together footage put to the song mad world um Mm. anyway let's talk plot (laughs) succinctly as you can what do you think happened in the film (laughs) (laughs) succinctly as possible you've got you got we've got a hard stop here guys we better get on with it um so i I, as i said i didn't watch a director's cut i watched a theatrical Uh cut and i watched it in one go and i didn't do any pre-reading on it so i just watched it i took notes as i went picked up mm-hmm. on some things, watched it, and then finished the film and basically went, what the... Right. What what happened there? Um, I'll give you my initial reaction. My initial reaction was, which is maybe a bit straight-laced, but okay. to me, he was always dead. And so he, uh-huh. he dies at the start of the film, uh, or he is dying at the start of the film, and this all kind of just occurs in his head as... The troubled kid, as we find out at the start, right? He's he's troubled. Um, uh-huh. Is is kind of going to sleep, and this crazy accident happens, and he dies. Now, I will say that that was my initial reaction. It's still kind of what I think happened. Mm-hmm. Um, but whether you agree with that or you agree with say something else, uh, and we'll 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 talk about what you think about it, and and also maybe what the internet talks about it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I certainly think whatever whatever you, you believe, his journey is the same. The character's journey is the same, which is why I think it's so much fun to go through these, well, these theories. Because yeah. regardless of whether you're right or wrong, and I did read uh, because of this Blu-ray re-release, you know, the director was here in London at the BFI yeah. yesterday, <laughs> or the other week anyway, um, talking about this. And he didn't really give the game away in what he said. He said, well... So, some of the theories are right. Sorry, he said none of the theories are right. He was joking. Mm-hmm. Um, 
and he kind of kept his cards close to his chest. I think he quite enjoys the fact that you can read multiple things into it. you got to remember he's quite a young kid when he wrote this. I think he was 23, the director. Um, uh, I will Kelly. just briefly interject um, Go on. on that point. <laughs> just to say, it's it's quite interesting because he, as you say, he's always kind of played it like that and very much like... Um, his name's gone out of my head. The guy who did The Sopranos. Um, oh, Dave. Um, yes, I know who you're talking about. I'm trying to remember the name now, but yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, on the, um, the final episode of The Sopranos, people yeah. keep asking he, him what happened. Yeah, and the thing is, people always ask him, and he'll always just say, like, I have an idea of what happened. If I tell you what happened, it entirely defeats the object of why I did it like that. I got a bit obsessed after finishing The Sopranos and must have read about a million interviews with him on this subject where he does give some stuff away and blah 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 uh the director of donnie darko quite similarly has always uh you know bemoaned people trying to find out the quote unquote truth of the film because you know he said i i I built it a certain way there is an ambiguity to it for a reason you know blah 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 but i haven't seen the director's cut but from everything i've heard the director's cut and all the subsequent things and the materials that are released in the bonus edition DVDs, etc. I think actually lessen the movie because they push you towards a certain interpretation. They include a lot more information about a certain aspect of it. And so it can only kind of leave you feeling that that beautiful ambiguity that lets you sit there and say, well, I think this and you think that. We can also say, well, the director who made it thinks this, if you see what I mean. Yeah, so you, uh, so let's talk about, so you're talking about the time travel theory, right? Yeah. You're talking about the theory where, <sighs> I read a whole website about it last night, so of course, yeah. what's great about this film is it gets your motor neurons going, and that's, I love when films do that, it's so rare nowadays. Yeah. Nowadays, I'm walking out of bloody doctor strange or another marvel film you know and thinking yeah that was all right and i go along my life and i don't really think about it yeah exactly but when you watch a film like this you then oh my goodness wow it could be this it could be that i've got to read what other people have said about it and of course come across the what you're probably talking about which is the time travel theory which without going into too much detail is basically that's kind of like a predestination paradox Mm -hmm. and Donnie has to kill himself to knock them out of the paradox. I mean, yeah. there's other terms used because it's all a part of the book by Grandma Death. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently in the director's cut, you can see more. The, they talk more about the book and you can see more yeah. of the book. They, and it basically got, explains the vast, the, the vast majority of, of the book is, is readable uh, in the, the special edition. My gut take on it is that... Um, this is like it's, it's very nice. Um, I think there's still an ambiguity to it, Chris. I think that just because this flavor is in there it doesn't still take away from the fact that um it's not necessarily time travel it can still necessarily be in donnie's minds you know um oh very definitely i my personal feeling is just that i haven't actually seen the director's cut um i will at some point um I, i do fully intend to sit down and watch it at some point but i have a feeling that i'm actually going to prefer the theatrical cut um because I prefer that ambiguity and I prefer to have my own thoughts and opinions about it. Yeah, I mean, for me, when I, I mean, again, I didn't read anything up on it, I just watched it. And I don't see how, if you just watch the theatrical version, 
I mean, forget about the DVD for a second or Blu-ray. Just imagine mm-hmm. watching it in cinema, right? There's no way you could have came out and that said, right, so there's an alternate timeline created by this weird act yeah. and um, Frank and Gretchen are dead at the start and then they become alive, but then they yeah. have to die. To be, you know, there's no... I mean, maybe you could, but I don't think you could. I don't, certainly don't think you could pick up on everything else that's in that grandma death book um, from what I've read because yeah. well, I've not um, seen the director's cut. So that's so that's interesting. So for you, it was um, you 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 felt like it was yeah it was kind of in his head. It was a uh, occurring in a moment right before his death. Yeah, well, to to me, um, so to me, it was internal to Donnie as he dies. So we've seen it so often in films that someone dies or has an event, and this all happens in the blink of an eye, which is a which is a bit of a trope. But that's what I took from it, you know. And basically, his mind journeys through things he hasn't got a chance to do. So he tries vices like smoking, drinking, premarital sex. Um, mm-hmm. He learns about uh, life and his impact on others with his uh, greatest fear, which is dying alone or being alone. And dealing with his mental illness, which he already, you know, addresses at the start. And uh, this was, of course, just after he was very horrible to his mum if you remember at the start yeah. of the film i think he calls her a bitch or something and um yes they have a bit of a bust up um what did you uh with that sort of interpretation in mind what did you make of his smile as he sort of rolls over do you think he's just like hmm it's happy thoughts as as he rolls over or you know, what, what did you make of that <laughs> that's a great question isn't it so do you read too much into the smile if you believe this kind of pre mm-hmm. this right overriding theory of this time travel that he knows what he needs to do and he knows that killing himself will make the world a better place um that they'll get them out of this this kind of loop this funk um and stop the, i guess stop the end of the world if you will um then you take that away um i don't know if, if i read too much into that other than he always went to bed with a smile um or maybe this he actually went to bed and then the smile was from his dream um i don't know um it's, it is fascinating yeah. and I, I do agree with you chris that when a movie has ambiguity and you can sit there and debate it and nuance it that there's not necessarily a right answer and that makes film and television yeah. all more interesting and we've talked about the sopranos ending before and we've had polar opposite ideas and both passionately believed in them and what i like is that they're at least at this point they're yeah. not wrong and that's what's always really annoyed me about blade runner i love blade runner and there was always that ambiguity was was decker the last replicant you know they never addressed it and then he came out and said yes and you're like oh why did you do that yeah, i mean you, you fuck <laughs> <laughs> it was so much better when you just didn't tell us but the, i mean there are there are people who will literally just disregard what he said because they are so firmly entrenched especially after so many years with something like blade runner um you know who will literally just be like yeah that's that's what he says but um i think if you watch it there's only one solution <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Um, exactly. And maybe he will come out in one day and say, no, no, I wrote this whole thing about the, the film is about time travel, but it's also about uh, Donnie Darko. Yeah. Um, for me, I think the film is richer when you consider that the film is actually just about Donnie's state of mind. Hmm. Um, so regardless of when, whether it's time travel or a dream, it happened, it didn't happen, whether it's a, an unreality or an alternate reality or... 
whatever i'm trying to remember what's called in the book it's something like it's a tangent a tangent universe. universe you got um, the primary universe the tangent universe um i mean it almost does it's almost immaterial i i almost think it cheapens it by saying it's about time travel you've you've hit onto something there um Go on. i'd like to hitch my wagon to and Go take on. it for a ride um the it just it kind of feeds into my journey with how i've interpreted the film um which is what i kind of want to talk about a little bit um so when i first watched it i was um in my late ish teens mm-hmm. um and my first interpretation was like okay so it's in his head he's a schizophrenic uh, you know all this crazy wackadoo stuff happens but it's it's basically just happened in his head and i actually saw it as wish fulfillment he wants to fall in love with some strange mysterious girl which you know mm-hmm. mysterious girl he wants to save her from some bullies uh, and look kind of tough in front of her uh he wants to expose that arrogant um uh patrick swayze character as a nonce um uh in in our english vernacular which is to say a pedophile or a, a, an enjoyer of kitty porn at least um and it was all this kind of wish fulfillment uh you know being played out through the strangeness um and I found that really interesting. Uh, mm. Then I sort of went down this this rabbit hole, uh, and this was largely down to the people I was hanging out with at the time, I suppose, of the science of Donnie Darko, uh, particularly as I found out that there was um, supposedly some real sort of scientific theory behind it and spent many, you know, late nights discussing tangent universes and uh, what, what are known in um, some branches of physics i believe is perpendicular universes and right. getting really really into this science theory of it and going far far away from the themes and the plot and you know the kind of philosophy behind it uh, and just really getting into you know how could he send a jet engine back in time to kill himself and create a paradox that actually undoes something worse and and shit like that uh and then yeah as i got older and a little bit more reflective start hanging out with different people um i actually really railed against that interpretation of it and um basically started saying like who gives a fuck uh you know like you say it it doesn't really matter it's kind of immaterial the point is about like you say it's it's donnie's journey and it's not to say that the the time travel doesn't matter to the plot it's to say that it it shouldn't be what you focus on uh it's a tool um, but, you know, like, w- what I spent a lot of time thinking was basically that the importance of it was for him to see, like you say, kind of his Im- him his impact on the world, and basically to realize yeah. that him being dead is 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 the is kind of the important thing that needs to happen. Um, and it was kind of about the, you know, how the character comes to know that he has to do that. And that it will actually basically make the world a better place, grim as that sounds. And he dies with a smile on his face, knowing full well what's about to happen to him, and feeling for the first time in his life just happy, not, you know, everything else. And then I became a little bit less pretentious, uh, and just kind of enjoyed it for what it was. <laughs> um, <laughs> but what is so fantastic about this film is that you can have those different uh approaches to it 
Um, and there, none of them are any less valid yeah. than the others. You know, if you're a science nerd and you just want to geek out about the fact that someone made a sci-fi film, uh, you know, about these theories, then that's great. Yeah, yeah, exactly. I, I, I think it, the good thing is that regardless, right, if you, there's a whole website set up to the whole tangential universe and primary universe and you know what what the engine represents and what frank represents mm-hmm. and what gretchen represents and all that stuff and that's fascinating and great and yeah. it was really interesting reading about it and i can see exactly where they're coming from and i don't dis- necessarily disagree with any of it um but just yeah. to me it's always secondary right so regardless of whether it's a dream regardless of whether it was reality or unreality or an alternate universe or or purgatory Oh, purgatory, yeah, okay. You're just kind of floating around here, it's not good. It's not very bad. It's just kind of meh. <laughs> um it's it is about this. I think it's much more about it's much more about Donnie and um the effect of his, his mental health, but also his fears, you know, this fear of dying alone, um and dealing with his mental his mental illness, um, which is fascinating to me. Um, that was very, very well done um, throughout it. Um, and it was only until just when this whole starts that he sees Frank for the first time, of course. Um, but then you, you start thinking about things like, well, Frank had an eye missing and then he gets shot at the end and uh, he's stabbed as well in the um, in the bathroom scene as well. Yeah. Um, and you start thinking, well, maybe they are right. Maybe it's just all about time travel. But I just don't think... I think the filmmaker, you know, which was Richard Kelly, who wrote and directed this. Yeah. Um, I don't think he wrote the film to be about time travel theories. He might have been quite interested in it, but I found it quite interesting that he talks about the film that he sees it as a as a juvenile film. He sees it as a, you know, he was young when he wrote it, and he's writing it about a young kid. So while it's um, quite an interesting film, quite a unique film, I, th- I I just think that folk, it, you know, it doesn't matter. Like to me, it was a dream in the moments of death that this kid uh, imagines you know the next month of his life whatever he's slipping into schizophrenia um he's uh, worried but he also maybe just can't express that mm-hmm. um thinking about his sisters and, and his mother and father and over the course of his month falling in love with a mysterious girl as you said um and all the other kind of wacky doodle things that comes up. So he basically, you know, he he becomes a bloody hero, mm-hmm. um, but he also uh, and you know gets to enjoy his, his, um, by engaging in these vices. These vices that Patrick Swayze's character actually specifically says, like all three things. These are the three uh, instruments of fear or something like that. He says, you know, smoking, <laughs> drinking, and premarital sex. He does all three of them in a row. Um, so I think that's much. I just think that's much more interesting. You know, this. Um, that that aspect of it but um it certainly gives a great depth to the film when you can sit here for 10 or 20 minutes and say well what do you think you know i yeah. did read that it, some people think that um the start of the film is him being unable to do what he does at the end of this uh, at the end of the film and that time kind of re- basically resets and he gets thrown back and that because he, he wakes up uh in the morning doesn't he and he kind of smiles yeah um I think he laughs actually. He laughs, doesn't he? He laughs yeah. at the sunrise, and then he then Echo and the Bunnyman plays, and he goes home. Mm-hmm. Um, does does that constitute that? Or might do, or it might just be someone who is slipping, who wakes up on golf courses, who wakes up in other places, um, and he's just like, "Huh, I've woken up here today." Could be that, or it could be this whole 
controlling portals with water and tearing off an airplane engine. Yeah. I just think it's it's a great level of depth and it's I think I just think it's something that the filmmaker has has placed in there. Yeah, I think we should move on to talk about kind of its legacy and its impact. So mm. it it released uh do you know how much it took in the box office? Mm-hmm. In the states, uh, not exactly. No, I don't. It took five hundred thousand dollars. Wow, not a great. Uh, is that the taking. total box office um, or just the? What was that? That's the total box office uh, for the states, I believe. Oh really? Um, it didn't. It didn't have quite. It didn't have a very widespread release. Um, and yeah, pretty much bombed. It was a huge flop. Uh, I'm pretty certain it probably cost a bit more than that to make so it didn't really make its money back so it cost it cost i think under five so i've done reading it cost under five million dollars i think it was about 4.8 and it was going to go straight to tv but yeah. drew barrymore saw the script offered to produce it offered to fund it on the proviso that she got the role of the teacher after the dvd release and after it became a bit of a cultural phenomenon it made the, the DVD sales over a set period of time at least made about $10 million. You know, I've never met anyone that's seen Donnie Darko in the cinema uh, unless it was like a re-release. Um, you know, everyone knew somebody who'd watched it mm-hmm. and was like, you have to see this film. And it became like a secret handshake, you know? Oh, have you seen Donnie Darko? What do you think happens? You know, it, it was very cool and cult and it made me feel uh, mm-hmm. very alternative mm-hmm. at the time when I watched it. Um, uh, but yeah, as you say, it's had a huge, huge impact. People still uh, go on forums and, dare I say it, Reddit and places like that to discuss what happened and what it meant. And obviously there's been a lot of buzz recently with, as you say, the uh, the, the re-release on, on Blu-ray. What I found interesting um, talking about the, kind of the, 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 the film now, because I, I, as you said, I never watched it. I'm watching it now 15 years later for the first time, Lady. That's me as ever. This is going to happen often on this podcast, I think. It's going to be like, so <laughs> here's the film that everybody else has seen, but I've not seen. Um, For both of us. What I didn't realise, so Richard Kelly uh, wrote and directed this film. He was, I think he was 23 at the time he wrote it. And what I didn't realise is actually he's not directed many more films since. Um, he's he's directed, I think, three, and he's, he's written a couple of other films. So he wrote the film Domino uh, for Tony uh-huh. Scott. Uh, but then he also wrote a, and directed a film called Southland Tales, which again is another one I've not seen, um, which doesn't have quite the eclectic cast, but it does have two or three cast members, Chris, that you and I will be interested in, mm-hmm. considering what we just talked about in episode one, Sarah Michelle Gellar stars in it. Yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm vaguely familiar. I know I haven't seen it, um, but I'm sure I knew a few things about it once upon a time. Yeah, and she co-stars with The Rock, Dwayne Johnson, and John Lovitz. So I think that's a must-watch anyway, just to see yeah, think, what on yeah. earth it's all about. Um, and he also, I think the, the last film he wrote and directed was The the Box, which um, you may remember from a few years ago. It was kind of a Halloween-y type film where a box turns up on a doorstep, and you can open the box, you can get whatever you want, but it will kill someone randomly in the world. Hmm which is kind of Twilight Zone-y. I, again, I haven't watched any of those films, but I'm now very interested that he's he's done them. And what's also um, imp- what's also interesting, Chris, is that 
here's someone who has went out of his way to, you know, he's 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 written and directed this film. It's fascinating. We're talking about all the theories and everything. Um, but we could talk about it probably for another hour, actually. There's so much on my notepad here that we could get through. And um, he seems to be committed to writing original films or directing original films, mm-hmm. which is such a rarity nowadays. I said at the top of the podcast, you know, Marvel films, DC films, franchise, Star Wars, you know, and a whole bunch of dreck. Um, there's very few. I mean, there's obviously great films every year, but sometimes it, find, it feels like it's harder and harder to find good ones. Mm-hmm. And um, it's kind of annoying that this passed me by. Not only it passed me by, but it passed me by in the cinema. Yeah. Uh, as well as, obviously, when everybody else was sitting around watching it on DVD. Um, I don't know why I never watched it, but it was really, really good. Um, and obviously, in terms of impact, hey, it made Jake, Jake, Jake Gyllenhaal. Gyllenhaal. I'm glad. I'm very glad that we've decided to do this podcast. Um specifically because I can't help but feel if I just said to you in passing, oh, I just rewatched Donnie Darko. If you've ever seen it. Yeah. Never watched it. You'd just be like, I'd never watch it. Would never and it wouldn't be and it wouldn't be because I wanted to annoy you. Although I know some people who do. We have a friend, Chris, um, a mutual friend, who keeps on being reminded that he's never seen Doctor Strange Love and refuses <laughs> to watch it because everybody wants him to watch it and everybody says it's a classic and now he will not watch it. He knows how much it winds people up. Um, and he knows how much it winds up. I'm not doing that. To, but if you had said to me, oh, watch Tony Darker, yeah, yeah, yeah okay. And, uh, I, but it would never be on TV and it's not on Netflix yeah. or Amazon Prime and I was not going to buy a, a £1 DVD. But because we are doing this podcast, you forced me to spend that £1.50, Chris. So kudos to you. And I have I have enriched your life. A little bit. <laughs> I'm genuinely thrilled that you enjoyed it. Um, I have another film that's in the sort of shall we say, in the chamber uh, that I might that I might ask you to watch. But conversely, I don't think you'll enjoy it. I don't think it stood the test of time. I'm not even sure I like it anymore. And I kind of, oh. I'm very sort of, oh. I have very mixed feelings about asking you to watch it. So I'm, I'm considering re-watching it myself before I decide. Um, but I was worried that you might feel the same way about this, that you might be like, oh, God, well, I don't know. Maybe people sat jerking off over the science of it a few years ago but it just doesn't stand up right <laughs> no no you know what chris it's um it's a great film and certainly if you're listening to this and you watch the film you're probably saying well i haven't i've not really reached any new insight into this but that's really not the point it's just you know i i got the chance to watch it for the first time uh i'll probably watch it again now it's fantastic and there's so many little things even little things we didn't really pick up on like the numerous references around the film to rabbits yeah um like the fact towards the end there's a carved pumpkin a pumpkin that's in the face of frank Mm. uh, with full-on ears and everything that there's a volkswagen uh rabbit car as well that goes past yeah the strange runner and and his red shell suit um the amount of people with double like dd ff you know like peter parker donnie darko um there was someone else who died um who had the initials FF, you know, it's all this kind of yeah. comic book style, un, you know, quite yeah. unreal, which kind of, again, leads me to the fact that this is not real. Like, this is someone's dream. Yeah, and this, even... That, that's that's Gret- part of Gretchen the reason even, why I think it is. Yeah, Gretchen even calls it out Donnie Darko. What are you, a superhero? And in, Oh, that's true, actually. In the context does, of the story, she? he is. He saves the world. Um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, uh, and, you know, there's so many... You know, I, I'm not really... 
artistic enough to talk about the direction other than to say that it's you know it was, it was quite beautiful and quite languid at times um also glad, you, glad you paid for that film degree steve uh well you know it was a lot of things chris now hang on so i didn't get to make films but i you know it has been a long time since i actually studied the criticism of film and i'm certainly not pretending to be a film critic um at you're, the moment, you're a bachelor of arts wear it with pride bachelor of arts wear it with pride i should say by the way one thing also we didn't talk about which was during my watching is that the dvd this is what happens when you spend one pound fifty in a dvd mm. i missed part of the film it crapped out on me and I cannot get it back. So I might have to buy the special edition Blu-ray to rewatch it, to see the director's vision and to find out what happened. I know what happened because I read it up on it, but it was when he is watching the evil dead and then he goes and burns down Patrick Swayze's house. Oh, okay. uh, I missed all that. And then what happens is I, the next scene I see is Drew Barrymore walking into the school upset. Ah, oh, you miss a lot. And then yeah. eventually she leaves. So yeah, it's like 10 minutes. Fuck. No, a lot happens there. Um, and there's, yeah, no, definitely, definitely, um, you have to rewatch those because there's some actually quite important stuff that happens there, not not just plot wise, but thematically. Okay, well, I tell you what, we better wrap it up there. We've we've gone over an hour now. Um, what's what's next? What have you got for me? Okay, well, I wouldn't uh, drag it out too long by <laughs> jumping through it, but basically, Chris, uh, as you know, I'm a big Wes Anderson fan. And yeah, I know you haven't seen this film, mm-hmm. so it, it's going to be interesting to see what you think about it. I think you'll like it, but it's also a film that not necessarily has a lot of people liking it for various reasons. Uh-huh. But I'm a big Wes Anderson fan, probably to the point of apology. And it's The Life okay. Aquatic with Steve Zissou, so Bill Murray, which is always pretty enjoyable. Uh-huh. Another quite interesting soundtrack, which I think you'll uh, enjoy. And yeah, I'll be very interested to see your thoughts on it. Okay, well... Um... I know only a little, namely the things you've just said, that it's a Wes Anderson film and the Bill Murray's in it. Um, so <laughs> I know that I'm much. Gonna go into, I'm going to be going into it quite fresh, okay. um, but I will approach it with an open mind. I enjoyed the Royal Tenenbaums, but I've also never watched it since the first time I watched it, I'm pretty sure. All right, so um, let's wrap it up there, Steve. Um, do you want to uh, plug our social media? um oh chris you're the host you really should do it but you can now find us on uh twitter at old brother podcast or old brother pod at facebook at facebook.com slash old brother pod and of course itunes stitcher and all the others you know come on mm-hmm. give us a review uh we're getting better come at this chris on. i think yeah come on give us a review give us a good review keep us doing this and we'll, we'll get better as we go along i've got a, a nice new shiny mic on its way it's going to sound great, and you know what, Chris? By the end of next year, by next Christmas, Squarespace money. We're going to get that Squarespace yeah. money. I want, We're going I want get, that. I want We're that. Going to be money. Squarespace ads three times an episode. I want that. Audible.com money. No, I'm joking. We're not going to do adverts. Well, hopefully not anyway. But um, not if you give us good reviews. Not if you give us good reviews. Okay, but uh, <laughs> certainly catch us next time where we'll be talking about the life aquatic. The life aquatic. See you next time.